Truth Espresso, episode 142. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Welcome, friends, fans, and lurkers alike to an episode of Truth Espresso, and we are continuing our series on marriage and going to wrap it up with this episode. If you haven't listened to the last episode from last week, last Monday, my wife and I, my sweet, beautiful wife, Chelsea, we talked about divorce and a biblical definition of divorce, and we briefly went over some statistics about divorce. How often does it happen? What are the leading causes of divorce? And it was pretty revealing there, so we encourage you to listen to that episode. And this is basically part two, where we're going to continue to talk about the grounds for divorce according to the Bible. And what does it really mean with some of these verses here? And we're going to talk about some schools of thought. And here to talk about divorce. With me is my sweet, beautiful wife once again, my co-host, Chelsea. So, sweetheart, thank you for hosting this episode of Truth Espresso with me. Thanks for having me, and it's always a pleasure to have these discussions. Well, thank you for being on. It's always a delight to talk with you about the Bible and especially marriage topics. But yeah, I know this is kind of a difficult topic, but, you know, it's important to address. And part of talking about marriage is to talk about how do you avoid the the pitfalls and stuff like that. And we'd like to give a little bit of a, a disclaimer on this episode because talking about divorce and the, the grounds for divorce can involve some details that if you have kids, young children listening to this episode, we're going to do our best to conceal some things a little bit, but if you have kids that are prone to asking questions, maybe you don't want them to listen to this episode or be prepared to explain things in a little bit of <laughs> kid-friendly understanding, but <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, we're going to talk about some things that, you know, young kids might not understand, and hopefully a lot lot of them won't have to understand while they're young but yeah so the grounds for divorce in this episode can involve things that uh, reflect issues of intimacy and stuff so yes be prepared for that so one of the biggest questions we should consider here is is divorce a sin because I think a lot of different opinions kind of come with that question as to whether or not God allows divorce. And when we look at the Bible, we see that there the Pharisees brought that question, oh, the disciples brought mm, that question yeah. up to Jesus. And I know you have a little more information about kind of the history of what was going on at that time to give us more insight as to what Jesus was talking about when he answered the disciples on this question. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about the two schools of thought that were going on at that time? 
Oh, yes, definitely, sweetheart. So first, I want to read um, the passage in question, and a lot of Christians and pastors will give commentaries. These verses might be the subjects of various sermons, but to really understand what Jesus was getting at and the answer he gave and what the context of his answer he gave, what it says and what it doesn't say, we should understand really the kind of rabbinical commentary around it. And there are two primary schools of thought that we'll talk about after we look at this passage here. So Matthew chapter 19 and verses 3 through 11, (laughs) it says, The Pharisees also came to him, tempting him, or testing him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives, but for the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery." His disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he saith unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. And so, yeah, from this passage, you have the Pharisees questioning Jesus about the grounds for divorce, and Jesus seems to limit the grounds for divorce for unfaithfulness there. And his disciples thought this was kind of a tough thing, and Jesus said, not everyone can receive these sayings here. He said it's for the hardness of her hearts that Moses granted a bill of divorce And last episode, we talked about the bill of divorcement in the law of Moses. So if you haven't listened to that episode, to provide some background to what we're going to talk about here, I highly encourage you to listen to that. So now some people, when they uh, look at verse 9, when Jesus says, Whoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committed adultery. This is the example that Jesus gives as a grounds for divorce here. In answer to the question, Jesus says, If it isn't unfaithfulness, you have no grounds for divorce. And there are some people who go way to one side and way to the other side, and interpreting and understanding this. But so before we really try to understand what did Jesus mean by this, what did he say and what did he not say, we should look at the prevailing teachings at the time. And there are two basically schools of thought that are called the houses of Hillel and Shammai. And these are rabbinical commentators on the law of Moses, like to understand what does some of this uh, written law mean when there could be some vagueness. So these two rabbis and their followers would have their interpretations of certain things and obligations. 
such as if someone forgets to pray a certain prayer. I think there's one about praying a, a prayer before a meal. How would the, each of these schools handle it? And Beit Hillel would be a little more liberal on, oh, you just have to remember to do it on the spot that you forgot to do it. If you just remember, oh, I forgot to do this, well, then just do it right there. And Shammai would be more strict Beit Shammai would basically say, okay, you need to go back to the spot where you were supposed to do it and do it there. So Shammai would be usually more strict with what your obligations are, and Hillel would be more liberal. And these were the two prevailing schools of thought over how to handle issues of the law, kind of like the Mishnah. But the big issue with these schools of thought is how to understand the bill of divorcement in Deuteronomy chapter 24. So, we did read this verse in last episode, but this is uh, how the rabbinical commentators, the houses of Hillel and Shammai, would differ on their understanding of this verse, and it had to do with the Hebrew words. So, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 says, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, and the uncleanness is actually two Hebrew words, ervat davar, literally means like uncovered or nakedness thing. <laughs> so there's the word for uncovered, exposed, the idea of unclothed, and then thing. <laughs> then let him write her a bill of divorcement, give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. So the house of Hillel explained that men can divorce their wives for really any reason. As long as they can present a reason, then it's grounds for divorce. And he emphasized the word devar there, which means thing, as the controlling term you know, in this phrase. So basically, he kind of saw it as two examples. So if she finds no favor in his eyes because, oh, he found as for an example, uncleanness or anything <laughs> so that's how he looked at it as a thing for if he found something for example uncleanness you know that's how he un interpreted this verse so basically if he finds a reason for example uncleanness <laughs> so Hillel taught that if a man finds any reason any justifiable reason in his eyes if he can present here is the reason why I'm divorcing her and one example that Beit Hillel gave was burning food. And so that was the one school of thought during the days of Jesus that, you know, a man could divorce his wife for any reason. If he can present a reason, then that stands as grounds for divorce. The house of Shammai, you know, Shammai was stricter on ordinances and stuff, and he's stricter on men here for reasons to divorce his wife. And his understanding of Deuteronomy 24.1 was that men can only divorce for reasons of adultery, and he emphasized the word ervat, the unclothed, exposed nakedness, as the controlling term. And so, basically, he understood the phrase 
phrase there as as kind of one thing you know it's an uncovered thing and so this was the reason for divorce the only justifiable reason given here was that a man was obligated to provide for his wife in marriage and could not write her a bill of divorcement unless she had committed this act she was unfaithful to him in marriage and if she did that then he can give her a bill of divorcement those were the two main schools and uh, at the time of Jesus and even like now people refer to it as both schools together as the authoritative word. <laughs> so if you want to understand your obligations in the law, these were the most well-known and respected schools to say, okay, let's go to the authoritative word. Whichever side you are on, it's part of the authoritative word. <laughs> Now, to mention in passing, there was another rabbi who was known, Rabbi Aliva, and he was even more loose than Hillel, <laughs> and he basically said that men can divorce even for no reason. His controlling emphasis on the verse was, she finds no favor in his eyes, <laughs> so he didn't really offer an understanding of the because there, basically, that whole thing was like kind of an example just to illustrate he just didn't like her anymore. He and he gives an example of if he simply loses attraction for her, you know, he finds some other woman's more uh, visually appealing. So, hey, divorce her. There's, you know, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I don't know how many women would even would like Rabbi Aliva here. So, <laughs> I mean, even, I would think even Hillel, like even to the feminist movements, you know, where you had feminist Jews, <laughs> probably like first wave feminism, the feminists favored Shammai for obvious reasons. And I would think, you know, okay, we could agree with the feminists there in the school of thought, because I I tend to lean more toward Shammai's understanding of this passage. It would seem like most men of integrity, I would think, would favor this one, that you know, men should be obligated to provide for their wives and not dismiss them because they just simply want out of that um, for self-centered reasons. <laughs> Do you have anything to, to say about this, sweetheart? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you, you know, you might have some opinions about the house of Hillel or <laughs> Rabbi Aliva in this regard. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, it's just interesting. I know we talked about this before doing the podcast too, but just hearing it again, how their thoughts on what marriage was mm. and how it can be so... Loose. Like, I know. <laughs> I was trying to think of a better word than that. But yeah, so loose. There isn't that commitment there, that mm. unconditional love, that servanthood that you see in a biblical marriage of, all right, I'm going to love you no matter what. Mm. And yeah. okay, you're going to divorce this person because they burnt the food. Mm. That's not love. And yeah. so I just think it's interesting how they came up with that side of looking at divorce and how they think that that's what Jesus was trying to say or even what the law of Moses was trying to say because 
Yikes. <laughs> that's not love and that's not the numerous amount of examples that God gives us throughout scripture of how to treat each other, just even brothers and sisters in Christ. Like hmm. you wouldn't disown your friend because they burnt food either. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So interesting. Yeah, that that would be considered (laughs) an acceptable or respectable interpretation of the law there, that men can divorce for any reason as long as they give a reason, you know, like on the bill of divorcement, writing it and then stating a reason she was unfaithful to me because she didn't cook correctly or something like that. It was dissatisfying or something, you know. It would seem then that that kind of interpretation would encourage a man to marry more frivolously, you know, because he knows that at any time, if he just wants out of the marriage, he can write a bill of divorcement. Whereas the house of Shammai, you know, would be more like, okay, if you're going to get married, it should be love and commitment. And you love your wife, even if she makes mistakes, because you make mistakes too, duh, you know, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. And just as she's like trying to serve you, you try to serve her. And yeah, so would it be safe to say that you'd probably lean more toward the house of Shammai here, babe? Yeah, I think any other side of that would be stressful. Like you wouldn't even want to get Mm, married because then you'd constantly be living like, oh no, if I make a mistake, then he's going to say, oh, we are out of here Mm. or I'm gone. Yeah. I don't know. I think that (laughs) seems like not a marriage at all. It sounds like a raw deal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that provides a little bit of commentary, a little bit of background to what's going on in the days of Jesus and what's driving the question here from the Pharisees. And so when it says the Pharisees came unto him, tempting or testing him and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? So the Pharisees here precisely were asking the question from the standpoint of the house of Hillel. They were asking a question, literally, that would come from the house of Hillel. And the reason they asked this was to put Jesus in this fight here. All right, we want to see which side you pick here so we can attack you from the other side. So the Pharisees here, you know, they were considered kind of the religious right in a way. And so we don't really know what their position was. We just know, just like they asked the question of Jesus about, you know, is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar? They're asking the question, testing him, as it says. So they're trying to pose the question to try to get him to admit to being on one of these schools so that they can say, well, we have the authoritative word from this side and try to get him in trouble from people who would follow the other side. And so that's why it says they're testing him, asking him that question. But it's interesting how Jesus starts his answer. He said, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? So the issue with the question they ask is starting off from the basis of which of these rabbinical schools do you align with? And Jesus is taking them back from there. Like, okay, let's go back from the authoritative word here and go to the beginning. Let's go back before the dispute over the law of Moses. 
Moses and say, what was God's design for marriage from the beginning? He made them male and female, and from Genesis here, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. You know, he designed two genders for the purpose of marriage here, and for this cause they become one flesh. And this was before the law of Moses. So we have the institution of marriage. That didn't come with Moses. God gave Moses the rules, the law for marriage in the land of Israel related to the land promise. But Jesus was taking it back to like, Moses didn't define marriage. You know, God instituted marriage before there was Moses. It started with Adam and Eve and they too shall be one flesh. And then he says, they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder or separate. So it's kind of like, okay, whatever your philosophy of marriage on is, if you think you're an authority over that, let not man separate what God has joined together. So no one has a right to say these two people should get divorced if it's against God's design for marriage as he has created it from the beginning with Adam and Eve, with the institution of marriage defined before Moses. So that verse always reminds me of one of our favorite movies, Fireproof. (laughs) (laughs) Good movie on marriage for anyone looking for good movies, especially for like a fun date night. (laughs) So, yes. Anyways, the one scene in there where the fireman is trying to demonstrate how the two become one flesh and... He glues the oh, yeah. salt pepper shakers <laughs> together, and then he, the other fireman's like going to pull them apart. He's like, "Who did this?" And the fire, first fireman's like, "Don't pull it apart, because one or both of them will actually break if you try and pull them apart now." Hmm. And just like that picture of becoming one flesh, like you're joined together. If there is that separation, if there is that divorce, then it shatters. Mm. one or both of the people and that's not what god designed god designed beautiful whole perfect things but because of sin now we see the ugliness of divorce and we see the ugliness of death and all of that and i think that that's like one of my favorite parts of that verse how you pointed out jesus is taking them back even to the beginning and how god created Hmm. marriage and how he designed it and it was designed to be a beautiful thing it was designed to be perfect and yeah yeah, exactly. <laughs> that also reminds me of there's a I know there's a lady named Blackie Scott who would go to colleges and went to the college I went to and she would talk about manners and among them being table manners. And she would talk about you never say pass the salt or you never say pass the pepper. She would say, you know, you always ask for both. Please pass the salt and pepper, even if you're only going to use one of them but say they you always pass both the salt and the pepper together because they're married you know you don't divide them they always stay together on the table (laughs) and you pass both of them around and someone might use one or the other but you keep the two together (laughs) Uh, yeah that's that reminded me of that too (laughs) yeah Yeah, the salt and pepper are married so you don't (laughs) what god has joined together let no one (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> separate. <laughs> but yeah, so that's a good illustration of God's design for marriage there. And so, yeah, Jesus' response to a question trying to pit him against Hillel or Shammai, the authoritative word, but Jesus brings it back to the beginning with the design of marriage and let not man put asunder. So then the Pharisees continue to ask, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorce and to put her away? So yeah, they're going to Moses then. Jesus went to the beginning to explain, you know, God's design for marriage doesn't include a caveat for divorce in Genesis chapter 2 there. It's like, here you go, a man leaves his father, joins his wife, the two become one flesh, and, and they all lived happily ever after, you know. That's the design for marriage. But then the Pharisees trying to continue the test, wait, you know, you can't just get out of it that easily. Well, why did Moses grant a bill of divorcement? And then I like Jesus' reply. He says, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you or allowed you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So Jesus wants them to understand, regardless of these competing schools of thought, regardless of whatever reason people get divorced, and regardless of whether how God has granted permission for a bill of divorcement, <laughs> the idea is not to find a reason to use the bill of divorcement. You know, God's design for marriage is a man and a woman for life. Now, because we're fallen creatures and because because people have hardness of heart, and I, you know, I like that. It kind of reflects, you know, even the Pharaoh, you know, how he hardened his heart and would not let the children of Israel go. You know, like even when he's presented the reasons for following God's law, he hardens his heart against it. He wasn't open to listening to being persuaded, and Jesus kind of putting that on the Pharisees here because of the hardness of your hearts. <laughs> You're just like Israelites there. God granted the bill of divorcement because he knew that people were not going to follow this perfect picture that he presents in Genesis, the ideal, the institution as God defined it from the beginning with the creation. It shows that, like in the Old Covenant there, even the laws there, what Moses granted didn't represent the perfect ideal. It represented how to deal with fallen mankind there in a, in a way that could sometimes maintain peace, but it still reflected, yeah, people are going to do these things. Here's how you handle them. <laughs> So I really like that part in the verse two where Jesus says it was because of the hardness of mm, your heart, yeah. because I think that's the root issue oh, yes. that he's <laughs> pointing out. Like, exactly. Okay. It's not because you're not attractive anymore or mm. you burnt food. Yeah. Those are all frivolous things. It's actually because of the person's heart mm. becoming hardened with sin and that's something that the other person can't control. Mm. So it's like putting the responsibility on the person who is in sin or whose heart is hardening. Mm. And I think that that is such an important part that often gets overlooked in that verse. And when we were talking about the Pearls book <laughs> in our yeah. sh or series on kind of debunking their 
<laughs> created to be his help me book and just how much responsibility Debbie Pearl would put on the women to yeah. have to do everything just right and try and woo their husbands so they wouldn't fall into sin. Okay, but that's going against what this verse is saying. This verse is saying it's the hardness of, I mean, your own heart. It's not, mm -hmm. okay, how we act, how we dress, how we cook, what we do for a husband doesn't contribute to the hardening of his heart. Like mm -hmm. There isn't that responsibility or that place of burden on either the husband or wife. It's your own heart that mm. hardens. Yeah. If good. that makes sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good good poise there, sweetheart, because Jesus is transcending <laughs> the sinfulness of humanity to show how God designed marriage. And the Jews at this time, they're looking at the law of Moses as if it's like the be-all, end-all of righteousness. And so they might have been tempted to look at the bill of divorcement there as kind of a holy sacrament, as it were, you know, so, but Jesus is explaining there is no sacrament of divorce here. You know, it's like this is given as a putting lipstick on a pig, as it were. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it isn't like to present something holy. It's to deal with something unholy, and you know. So I mean, Jesus is explaining that when it comes to divorce, someone's at fault. You know, because if there was no fault, there would be. No no reason for divorce. <laughs> so, you know, so yeah, like because of the hardness of your hearts, God granted the bill of divorcement because if there's a bill of divorcement, someone did wrong, whether it's the man granting the bill of divorcement or the wife in in this case and in this culture doing wrong to get the bill of divorcement. <laughs> there's no such thing as a holy no-fault divorce, you know. <laughs> so yeah, as the two schools of thought would look at it and they look at maybe the even Shammai probably looking at the law of Moses as kind of the ultimate standard of righteousness. He's conservative there, but he still might be looking at it as kind of a sacrament. But how do we treat it properly? Whereas Jesus explaining um, before Moses, from the beginning, God didn't create Adam and Eve and then tell them, okay, you know, before the fall, okay, let me create this institution of marriage. And now let me tell you about how, you know, what are the grounds for divorce? You know, he created marriage he designed marriage to be a lifelong <laughs> commitment of love, you know, and divorce came because of the sinfulness and hardness of man. <laughs> and then it seems like Jesus' disciples were on the Hillel side as they're listening to Jesus arguing the, the Pharisees here. The, so the Pharisees asked the question, testing him, and then the who knows what the disciples were thinking. They might actually have thought that Jesus was going to agree and be on the side of Hillel, but they didn't know. The authoritative word included the two schools. Jesus is going even beyond Shammai here, you know, in his understanding of 
look, divorce is not a good thing. God didn't design marriage with divorce in mind built into the definition of marriage. Divorce breaks the design of marriage. And then what is disciples seem to fall into the school of Hillel at this time and you know it says his disciples say to him if the case of the man be so with his wife it is not good to marry so the disciples are kind of like I guess if we can't get out of it when we really feel like we need to then why would someone get married if they're bound to it (laughs) so yeah his disciples had a lot to learn (laughs) but then in verse 11, but he said to them, all men cannot receive this saying except those to whom it is given. And yeah, then he talks in verse 12 about eunuchs and being saved you know, for the kingdom of heaven's sake. You know, a eunuch is someone who never has children, you know, <laughs> never gets married, never has children. But, you know, he's giving examples of people who you know never even get married and they'll be in the kingdom of god so they some can't receive the saying some there will even be eunuchs in the kingdom of god so you know some people who never get married now but then those who do should understand you know what god's design for marriage is for them Unbelievers now have no excuse to misinterpret the Bible like they ever did. Interpreting the Bible has never been easier or less expensive. Get your copy of What Does It Mean to Me? This teaches and demonstrates the importance of biblical interpretation. Proper biblical interpretation is the difference between truth and error, life and death heaven and hell this is created for your sinos that's your christians in name only readers will stop asking what does this mean to me and start asking what does it mean get your copy of what does it mean to me at trackplanet.com or on amazon.com today you want to get this before it's too late So, since (laughs) Jesus is saying that the only reason that you can put away his wife in verse 9, except it be for fornication. Mm. So, I know we were talking a little bit about that some Christians or people think that adultery or fornication is the only reason Mm. for divorce. And do you think there's scripture that supports that that's the only valid reason for divorce or are there scriptures that tell us there are other reasons for divorce do you think we can head down Uh, that road here yeah i think we we need to because jesus answer there definitely does raise the question because especially in our modern context when we're trying to interpret these and you know interpret scripture and we want to take things as literally as we can I think the background that we provided there helps with this because if we just look at this with face value and not understand the schools of thought going on at this time, we might look at Jesus' answer and then come up with other scenarios of like, well, what about this and this? 
Of course, remember that the prevailing, the bill of divorcement, what he's addressing at the time of Moses, the bill of divorcement was just a man gives a bill of divorcement to his wife. But yeah, in Mark, Jesus does give the case of a, a woman divorcing her husband too. But what's under question here is if a wife is unfaithful to her husband, what is the ground for divorce according to Moses there, and Jesus interprets the Hebrew there like Shammai to say that, you know, unless it's for fornication, you know, unless she's unfaithful, he can't just divorce her for any reason in answer to that question. So Jesus is holding to a high view of marriage here with his answer, but then as 21st century Americans reading this literalistically, then we might start to think of other things like, well, what if she or you know, of course, thinking of divorce in our day where either the wife or the husband can file for divorce. And a lot of times you have mostly men, but sometimes women can, you know, be violent or abusive like that way with violence. And so what if one is threatening the life of the other or threatening the life of the kids? You know, is that grounds for divorce? When Jesus said, except it be for unfaithfulness and shall marry another commits adultery, was he then saying, well, only unfaithfulness can allow you to get divorced, but violence can't? I don't think that's what Jesus was intending to communicate. (laughs) He was answering the test, the testing of him from the school of Hillel about a man releasing himself from the obligations of his wife (laughs) and giving her a bill of divorcement for something less than her own unfaithfulness to him in the covenant of marriage. So, yeah, I I would say that this was an example. This was interpreting the Hebrew there for when a man can release himself from that obligation of marriage if she is demonstrating that she's not committed to it and she's not fulfilling her obligation, being unfaithful there, then and only then can he give her a bill of divorcement. Well, I would think anything that falls under the a similar category of basically by your actions saying, I refuse to be married to you. (laughs) I refuse to fulfill our covenant commitment. I'm essentially acting like I'm divorced from you, (laughs) you know, because, you know, marriage is, as Jesus said, the two become one flesh. Well, if one of them is intentionally and unrepentantly functioning as we're no longer two flesh but one flesh i mean we're no longer one flesh but two but we're two fleshes now (laughs) and so yeah if one of them is threatening the other with violence how really could you say that that's faithfulness (laughs) Mm. you know regardless of if it involves the actual acts of intimacy or not if a husband is threatening the wife the life of his wife Is he really being faithful to her in love that would be associated with intimacy? I would say not. So I would say that any action of similar egregious action, whether it's unfaithfulness of intimacy or a violent act, demonstrates that same mindset that you are not... committed you're not wedded in intimacy you're demonstrating hatred not love 
you're demonstrating a de facto form of divorce there. So that would be grounds for divorce in my understanding of what Jesus would say here in this passage if that question were raised. So I don't think Jesus was saying only an an act of adultery allows for divorce, but threatening your life doesn't. You're still required to live with someone who could threaten your life, continue to threaten it or your children. You know, I don't I think that that would be included under this understanding of unfaithfulness. What do you think, sweetheart? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's interesting just going through so many verses preparing for this and how often the scripture talks about man hating his wife and how that's something evil in God's eyes. And a kind of like, um, I know this is a different translation, but I just think that it reads a little bit easier from hmm. the English Standard Version of the Bible. Um, Malachi 2, 16. Oh, yeah. I was going to bring that up too, oh, yeah. Okay. but yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, so it says, quote, let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth for the man who does not love his, or basically you could say who hates his wife and divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So he's commanding us to be faithful Mm. in our marriage and faithfulness comes from loving your wife, loving your spouse. And when you are hating them, you're not loving them, then you're being unfaithful and then you're basically covering yourself in violence. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's what I was going to bring up with the the question about violence here. There is a context of, I mean, it says that God hates divorce or, you know, so in the King James, it says in Malachi 2.16, For the Lord, or Yahweh, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away, for one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. So, Yeah, there's like a translational kind of understanding of what it means by God's, or it says that he hateth putting away. That could be rendered, whether it's saying that God hates putting away or whether it's referring to the one who hates and puts away, like the man who hates and puts away his wife. It's hard to tell from the Hebrew whether it's saying that God hates putting away or that the man who hates and puts away his wife is covering violence of the garment. But whatever that means here, God doesn't favor it. And the priests here in Malachi were dealing treacherously with their wife. They were getting divorced and they were threatening violence. So violence is a reason for divorce. And if the man is threatening violence, that the woman or likewise but yeah so violence can be associated with divorce even in this passage here and you know we talked about earlier to exodus 21 verses 10 through 11 and we were looking at how that kind of brings up the ability to divorce in the case of neglect or abuse mm. in the marriage Oh, yeah. So Exodus twenty-one ten through 11, it says, If he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall he not diminish. So that shows the scope of the sphere of marriage as it, it was defined in the Mosaic law. It's referring to the man's obligation to provide materially for his wife. 
Verse 11, And if he do not these three unto her, then shall she go out free without money. So, yeah, here's another grounds for divorce written in the law that the man is obligated to provide materially for his wife. And if he says food, raiment, or clothing, and her duty of marriage. So, everything that she needs in marriage, you know, like providing materially and lovingly for her, if he doesn't provide that, she can go free. Uh, So, yeah, there's grounds for divorce there if the man doesn't provide his obligation, which would mean unfaithfulness on his part. And so unfaithfulness isn't just limited to physical intimacy. It covers the scope of really anything that the husband or wife would refuse to do or mistreat in marriage. So if one of them is unrepentant in it, so basically they're saying yeah, sure, the law says we're married, but I'm going to make it a de facto divorce. By refusing to keep my commitment here, then that's grounds for divorce. And so... And that's a hardened heart. And that's a hardened heart, exactly, (laughs) so we are. An example of God divorcing Israel for marital unfaithfulness in the form of idolatry. You know, God says that he gave... Israel a bill of divorce because they were not being faithful to him like they were his wife by committing the adultery of idolatry. (laughs) So worshiping false gods, God equated that to adultery on their part. So he granted them a bill of divorcement. Even as they do it, by his love, he would keep reaching out, rescuing them. They would keep going back to it. And so as Israel would demonstrate that they just simply would not commit to their obligations in marriage and were being unfaithful in a way that wasn't physical intimacy. It was idolatry, but God equated uh, idolatry to adultery there. And so that demonstrates they had to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And if they went after other gods, the Lord is one. And they went after other gods, that was adultery on their part. And so, yeah. So the unfaithfulness there in the mind of Jesus in in this background of the two schools here demonstrates the whole concept of being unfaithful to your marriage vows. Whatever that is, for example you know, physical intimacy. But if you're threatening violence, if you're refusing to take care of your spouse and stuff, I think that falls in line with the same mindset as being unloving in physical intimacy too. It's the same type of thing. It's the same hardness of heart. Um, I was thinking when we were talking about that, that it's good to remember that example of God and how he kept reaching out for Israel and that that's why I know we talked a little bit in some of our earlier episodes on marriage not bringing up divorce like Mm, in your arguments or conversations because it's not something you just want to throw around Mm, and like we need to show grace and love and forgiveness and continue to try and reach that person who might be turning away and pray that God will soften their heart and their heart will turn back towards God and you can come together as one flesh again and not Mm. just be like okay that person did this one Mm, act of violence or whatever the case is and 
like, okay, let's sign the papers for divorce. Like, Mm. I mean, I know we can't just say, oh yeah, yeah. divorce here, (laughs) don't divorce here. Like in those cases, of course, it's going to be different, but just Mm. keeping in mind that there is that part too of trying to make it work in Mm. some ways, but also each person Mm. is responsible for their own actions Mm. And you can't force that other person to love you, to commit to the marriage, um, mm. to be kind, <laughs> to not beat you up, to not terrorize the kids, or, you know, whatever the situation is, mm. that it is a personal decision for mm. what they do. Yeah. One lesson that God was teaching about his faithfulness to the marriage with Israel was having the prophet Hosea marry the harlot Gomer. Yeah, mm-hmm. Gomer. Yeah. I'm trying to remember because I don't have that in my notes, but she would basically commit adultery, which was legally grounds for divorce, but he would have Hosea keep taking her back, taking her back several times. She would be broken. She would be sad about it. She would try to repent of it, but she would fall again. He would take her back. And so yeah, it's kind of a judgment call, but you know, you know, if someone is like dead set on as far as I'm concerned, we're divorced. So that's when you, you know, you kind of throw up your hands and say, you know, okay, I can't force you to stay in this. And if you're going to do the wrong thing and demonstrate that you won't repent, I don't see your heart softened. <laughs> you know, that's grounds for divorce. There's no way to salvage this. And I know First Corinthians 7 talks about if, say, one of them gets converted by the gospel, the other one remains pagan, basically, then maybe you can win the other one over. But if your spouse just insists to leave, then let them go free for the sake of peace. So a Christian can't just barricade the door and say, you're not allowed to leave. If the heart of one spouse is, I will not commit, I want out, then for the sake of peace, you have to say, okay, you know, if that's what you want, then just let it be known. It's not my desire, but because I love you and you won't love me, then for your sake, I'm going to let you leave. And yeah, So the reason we go back to Jesus talking about in the beginning, it was not so. The Apostle Paul talks about that God's design for marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, which I also don't have this in my notes, but he says we're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones in verse 30, Ephesians 5.30. And he talks earlier about husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. He quotes Genesis 2 in verse 31. He says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And he gives this illustration of the body of Christ, like we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And he illustrates that with the man leaving his father and mother, they two become one flesh. And he takes that as this is a mystery concerning Christ and his church, like we are his body, like that's how close marriage is is that we're one flesh, we're one body. And so we as the body of Christ are also reflecting the institution of marriage. And that's the mystery there of 
Christ and the church. And that's pretty amazing. And it demonstrates just how important the design for marriage is in God's mind, as he even designed it as a mystery to ultimately to reflect Christ and the church, where the two there are one flesh forever. And there is no divorce in the body of Christ there, as in there's no divorce of the body of Christ from Christ because it's his own body. And so, yeah, it's forever. It's eternal. There is no divorce there. So Christ and the church ultimately reflects God's design for marriage from the beginning. And so, yeah, that's the way we should look at marriage and divorce from God's perspective. And yeah, so the bottom line is that divorce is always a negative thing. There is no sacrament of divorce. There is no, you know, yay, bill of divorcement. There's always a hardness of heart from someone when a bill of divorcement becomes a necessity. So divorce is not a prize to be won or a reward to be gained. It's always a tragic thing that harms people. It is at best what we could call the least evil to remedy a difficult situation and yes there are cases where divorce is absolutely necessary in the cases of violence and in repentance and stuff like that but that doesn't mean that everything is rainbows and stuff when you you get the divorce it's always difficult but yeah God bestowed an institution of marriage that's a mystery that points toward Christ and the church, and this particular marriage is perfect and will never end in divorce, as I've said, and we humans are sinful and fallen, so we mess up God's pictures, and that's the only reason that God provided the bill of divorcement, because of us, not because of his design. (laughs) I just had one more challenge for us to think through. I was reading an article, I don't even remember if I have the notes on it, but just on the Bible verse in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 12, and Paul is telling the Corinthians church, But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a riler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat." And I just, the article is pointing out, okay, if God is, you know, inspiring Paul to write this to the Corinthian church, that Christians shouldn't even eat with people that engage in these behaviors. Why would we as Christians expect a husband and wife Mm. to tolerate and put up with these situations that, you know, the husband's constantly coming home drunk and beating Mm. up his wife or the wife's going out and engaging in affairs. Why do we expect them to act differently because they're married Mm. if this passage is saying don't even do that as brothers and sisters in Christ? So just kind of an interesting thought to (laughs) reflect on as we come to a conclusion here. Oh, yeah. Good point there, sweetheart. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, if Paul says not to keep company with someone who is exhibiting these unfaithful sins here, then why would we expect a spouse to go? through the ringer with a spouse who's violent or an adulterer and so on like that you know so 
Yeah. The bottom line there, you know, with the divorce is that if one wants to break it and is dead set on effectually acting as if they're divorced, then the other one, for the sake of peace, uh, would have to let them go free. And rather than suffer abuse from someone who's not going to commit to making marriage according to God's design there. And so, yeah, whether it's intimacy or violence or whatever, it demonstrates that one is divorced at heart, unrepentantly divorced at heart, and so that breaks God's picture of marriage, and yeah, if that's what you want, then, you know, that's what God permitted for the hardness of hearts. As Christians, we should take to heart Jesus' words about God's design for marriage and that if you have been treating your marriage loosely and not been loving your spouse (laughs) the way Christ teaches that you should and thinking that you're one flesh with your spouse and no one hates his own body but nourishes and cherishes it, if you care about yourself, you got to care about your spouse, just as (laughs) the law even says, love your neighbor as yourself and who's more your neighbor than your spouse (laughs) so yeah you must love your neighbor as yourself and that's god's design for marriage there absolutely one flesh divorce is not a positive thing it's not a sacrament (laughs) it's not a holy thing it's for hardness of hearts so yeah on the one side There is legitimate grounds for divorce if the one spouse is not committed to maintaining marriage and is going to do everything to make the other spouse's life difficult until they give up, then yeah, (laughs) there's your grounds for divorce there. But keeping in mind, if you're both Christians who are open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and you keep in mind the commitment to be one flesh and you're praying together, and you're seeking God's will together, and you're talking with each other, as we talked about communication, you know, you both want to talk with each other about how can I be better husband or wife for you? What can I do? You know, that's your mindset, is to make the marriage glorious with each other, then (laughs) that's God's design for marriage. That's how you can have a glorious marriage, (laughs) not like the pearls, not... (laughs) (laughs) And forget the houses of Hillel and Shammai, you know, and think about Jesus's words about God's design for marriage. You know, a husband, wife, one flesh for life, both seeking God and both seeking to live for Christ and the mystery of Christ in the church. And and don't make divorce, you know, an option on your part. (laughs) Divorce should only be uh, an escape from a bad situation. I just want to tell you thank you for your commitment to our marriage and just doing this series together. I think it's been great just to kind of get back in God's word and see what he says and kind of think things through on a different level. And I just really appreciate you and your heart for God's word and your love for me and our children. You're just a wonderful blessing and I love you. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. And I, I feel the same way about you. And thank you for doing this series with me and and for your commitment to uh, me and for our children and 
raising them in the nurture and admission of the Lord. And I look forward to many wonderful years together with you, sweetheart, as we live out being one flesh <laughs> as Christ in the church. <laughs> and just love you so much, sweetheart. <laughs> Well, before we get too mushy-gushy here, we <laughs> that brings us to the end of this episode and the end of our series on marriage. And so stay tuned for the next episode as we pick up a different topic. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 